moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Previously on Cascading Leadership. I think that what's interesting is that I think it's hard sometimes for people to process how recent these issues are. Meaning folks will think sometimes, oh, this is way back when. But right. it caught my attention almost immediately when you said the 1970s and 1980s. And that the whole notion of race in America, people thinking that it's, it's passe, all of that. And in fact, it's still not, unfortunately. The other thing that, that stands out to me is that when you were talking about your father and your mother, it sounded to me as though this idea of our childhoods, which I think Jim had talked about at the top of the show. The whole idea and notion of how those relationships shape us. And you've called out a couple times, and I think this is something that has to be very authentic to you, is the whole idea of being transparent and authentic as a leader. You've said that probably 10 different ways to Sunday. And it's a very important, I think, framework for people to live into as leaders. As we think about, you talked about making sure that people feel welcome and knowing that they're heard and knowing that they're thought of. In our, one of our previous episodes, I think in all of our previous episodes so far, that has come up as a recurring theme of how important it is to make sure that people feel valued and know. And in today's society, community is so important. The connection that people need to feel tethered to this world by something or someone is so real. It is so true that people leave managers, but they also leave corporations and companies that forget that they exist that there's no value that they provide and, and they go elsewhere. COVID has put into perspective the fragility of life. And if you're not going to be valued with the place or the people that you go clock in eight to five, whatever it is, then someone else will value. And you should never discount your, you should never dim your light so someone else shines. And I had a wonderful mentor that kind of got me and she told me that. She said, you don't have to dim your life to someone else. But understanding the humility that comes with the responsibility of someone that has been provided so much, you have an obligation to give back. I have an obligation through my ancestors. And now the conclusion of our conversation with Damar Phillips. What you talked about from your experiences growing up, a lot of stuff to unpack in your father passing, how his relationship with you and your siblings showed up in certain ways, how that's changed how you show up in your relationship with your kids. I think what stood out and to me out of all of that was how you've been intentional about, hey, when I was growing up, my dad didn't really tell me what he thought about me unless it was the weekend and he had been drinking. So I make it a point that without question, every opportunity that I have, I'm telling my kids where they stand and how I feel about them and that sort of stuff. And I know that this is a leadership and business oriented conversation, but how you show up in your personal life also impacts how you show up in your professional life. And we're all of the same generation in this room. And when you were talking about your experience, my parents were the same way, culturally. And I'm from halfway around the world. And that was a generation where it was 
you just are understood that you have a certain place in the family and we don't have to say that stuff out loud. And what's interesting, I know how LB is with his kids. My mom sometimes gives me sideways looks with how I am with my kids, but there is no doubt you don't have to guess on where you stand. And I think that's important both as parents, your kids shouldn't have to question what you think or feel about them, good or bad, mainly good. And then when you transition that into the workplace, when you think about, when I think about the leaders that I love working for, I never had to guess where I stood. And if something was wrong, they would tell me what I need to work on. I never had to go through this game. So I think there's a good parallel there. And I'm just calling that out because I think as men, we've been conditioned to be a stiff upper lip and all of that. I don't know if it's toxic or whatever, cold, aloof way of going through life. And I don't think that really does a whole lot of good for anybody. So saying that stuff out loud is important. So thank you. Now this leads me to one of the philosophical areas that I want to explore a little bit. So you grew up where you grew up. You had that experience of a divided small town. And our show has a really strong DEI bent. Philosophically, my experience is that when we're looking at issues of DEI, I'm very passionate about building common ground to move forward from. There's another vein of the philosophy that is more in line, and I'm paraphrasing, it's more of the us versus them mentality. I guess my question to you is when we're looking at the things that you are passionate about, I have a responsibility to make sure people feel loved and understood or seen and heard. How do you bridge that gap philosophically? That's by the grace of God, right? It's very easy to become jaded and people to feel like this opportunity was, I was passed over for this opportunity because I'm black, because I'm gay, because I'm female, because I'm five foot three. It's very easy to be pulled in to that type of a philosophy that can harden your heart. And, and make you operate a little bit differently. I have always believed that commonality is the basis for all connection. That commonality is the key to connectivity, right? So if I know what your interests are, then I can genuinely take an interest in you and then figure out with you where we need to go. I think there's a very technical aspect like diversity, equity, and inclusion that is the program side. Everybody wants to create a program. Everybody wants to create a written document, a statement, and yet they forget the metrics. They forget to ensure that the desired outcome that people will want is being achieved. But I I have my diversity department. They put out the best flyers, the best programming. Every February, there's a Black History Month celebration. We're going to bring in some guest speakers. So we're doing the check the box activity, but we're not forming real relationships. And I think that's the problem is that everyone is looking for the check the box that I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. And the real result of, did you go into an HBCU, a historically Black college and university to start intern program? Did you go to the Hispanic Employee Association group to say, hey, did you do some outreach to Indian, true Indian American or people to be able to hear what there is? Is there a Muslim inclusion factor in this? Because the world, everyone wants what's best for their families. And if you examine it from an individual standpoint, then you can see the common threads is through all of that. You are halfway around the world, yet your parents have the same values and principles as my parents, the other half of the world around. So together that makes the whole world go round.
So it starts with commonality and it can't be us versus them. We have too many things that separate us today. We're Republican, Democrat. And if you don't like those, you can say you're independent. I can't move a whole group forward. I can't take the whole, you guys are you're in Chicago. I can't make the Chicago Bears champion. However, I can make you an individual person a better player. I think that's I beyond that. God's capability to make the Bears <laughs> champions. I'm resigned to that fate right now, but thanks hey for guys, the shout out. I'm still rooting for the Cowboys down here in Texas, but I can make you as an individual a better person. I can help you to become a better individual. And by helping you, and if I'm able to empower what it is that you need to connect to, then you too can pay it forward. And then more people are going to be touched than trying to go and say, this group, this affinity group, this area here, I'm going to just collectively put my arms around all of you. Who wants to be in that group? I want you to see me as an individual, see me as a person, see me as a man, as a, and help me to be able to move forward so that I can help someone. You were talking about the diversity programs and Jim had asked that question. And there is a great book that was written by Pamela Newkirk, Dr. Pamela Newkirk, and it's called Diversity Inc. And she positions a, I don't know that it would be popular in most of the corporate circles because she talks about this. So when you think about Jim and I come from a sales background and I can tell you, we generally had a month. If something was not right in any one of our areas of, of P&L or marketing or employee development, you name it. We had generally 30 days or less, depending upon who your leader was, to fix that. And yet we have been talking about the idea and notion of DEI or DEIJ or diversity, equity and inclusion and belonging or justice and all these added elements. But it's been going on for roughly about 40 to 50 years of effective DEI programs. And by effective, they're just been in place. And yet we're still having these conversations about how do we make it better? How do we improve? How do we get better? What organizations are truly allowing any other part of their business go 40 years and not succeed, go 40 years and not advance? So that's a great tell. And she digs very deep into that. And when you were mentioning some of that, and when Jim asked the question, that's what kind of stuck out in my mind. And I'm an avid reader. So normally nine times out of 10, something that you're going to say is going to come up in my head from something that I've read. Right. But I think you're right. I think that the whole idea and notion of the one-to-one -one might be one of the reasons that, that I think corporations struggle too, is that when you look at, this is going to be another one that'll probably get me in trouble. But when you look at the roles, uh, are they actually empowered? Or is it a title? So by that, we, you have to have in order, right. Again, going back to a sales standpoint, right? Yeah. If you want me to move your organization, if you want me to move sales, I need the resources and I need the people. I need the strategy in order to do that. The question is that our company's really, truly doing that. For example, if I think you, we all know this. And for those listening, just go out and look at the job descriptions of what they're asking for people in the DEI space to do. And then I would bet you that they don't have multi-million dollar budgets to accomplish it. The ideating that's necessary for them to be able to do it. To your point, anytime you have an initiative or you're starting a business, a new business is three to five years, according to the Small Business Bureau, right? Of, of you really getting up to speed and things really running the way that they need to do in order to be successful, to be profitable. The first thing that happens is in a budget crunch, those DEI programs go away because it's all seen as additive or it's a nice to have a nice, but it's not going to be effective until the business understands that representation matters and your customer base needs to also know that the company that they're supporting or that they're purchasing things from 
represents them too is that it'll be effective at that time but dei roles are they report to someone and that someone typically is a high up whether it's hr or in the ceo and at the ceo's leisure those things can be we're gonna put that on hold for example so the teeth isn't truly there. If you tie compensation to the output and the results of the with senior leaders who also have to champion and embrace it, then you might get somewhere. But that's why at Walmart, there is a small percentage of bonuses that's tied to diversity and inclusion efforts, but it was a small component of it. Maybe a 10% or less of your bonus eligibility. Heck, if you're exceeding 100%, 10% really doesn't matter, is it? You are the $572 billion company now world's number one and so 10 percent of a small number doesn't make any difference if you're making 150 percent of your bonus output but walmart has been a company that has listened to the employees and i go back to walmart because that's where i cut my corporate teeth 10 plus years there and they have an amazing track record but they didn't just cut they actually listened to the people to be able to make the program effective and i think the outreach in the community when you see companies start engaging in the community make sure that they're hiring practices, their applicant pools are diverse, that they're not segregating between whether sexual orientation, ageism, any of those Title Seven things that can get you in trouble. And they truly make an effort to listen to the employee base and listen to their customer base. I think that's where this diversity and inclusion equity can truly take off. It's too easy to be a cop out these days. There's so many reasons why something can't work. Well, I don't have enough of this type of person or this candidate here. We have to go where the people are at to make the role attractive for the organization. And that's incumbent on business. And it does take investment, takes budget dollars to be allocated to that. And it takes the will and fortitude to stand pat, even if you don't have results over 30 days. And I think the other thing that you mentioned earlier in the sales aspect of 30 days is this or that, 30 days was for you because of your ethnicity. Other people have longer track records to be able to do, to get things turned around. And so we have to be authentic and truthful when we say it's not just sales. A sales leader, you put the two together, the only difference is skin complexion or color. That would be the difference between you having 30 days to turn it around to ship versus someone having 90 days to be able to do it. And it happens in the business all too long. Interesting observations. One of the things that you reference is that a lot of companies, and you can take a cynical approach to it, approach DEI as a check the box exercise. And if you're somebody that is within an organization that's trying to not only launch a DEI program, but actually have it structured in a way where it's meaningful, have it structured in a way and executed in a way where it has budget behind it, how do you advocate to move the needle there where maybe the broader organization or executive leadership believes that this is just an additive exercise. What's the, con what's the conversation that needs to be had and how do you advance the cause so it's not just a superficial exercise? You have to have champions and sponsors to ensure that you have the time that you need for the success of the program or the rollout of the program to actually deliver results. And you can't be, let's say, I don't want to be too harsh. Let's not be arrogant to assume that our efforts are going to have an immediate payout to the organization. We need to be realistic about the expectations and timing of when a bottom line improvement is going to be seen on the P&L. Because let's face it, dollars and cents is what runs the game. And if you can prove that being an equitable, inclusive company is profitable, all CEOs would sign up for that. Who wouldn't sign up for that if you can show me in dollars and cents on the bottom line? Problem is, 
it takes a while for that to actually relate. And so you have to approach it in different ways. One from a sales aspect, if I can relate to my customer and my customer base can respond to that and see what my efforts are, then yes, that's an immediate impact to your P&L. And you can see it in the sales line, the top line will grow and you'll be able to to provide that as documentation, but you must have sponsors and champions of your programs. You can't do it alone. The CEO has to be some partly engaged in that because all things stop at the CEO's desk. And so how political you're able to navigate your corporate structure, the people, the champions, you have to find your EF Hutton that's in the room when you're not to be able to say this program is successful and here's how it's successful and show it on the PL. Yeah, without question. I, I think that you're exactly Exactly right. When you think about the somebody speaking for you when you're not in the room works for. So when we talk about the podcast and it being about leadership and DEI, that also becomes critical on an individual basis, right? Who is the person that speaks on your behalf when you're not in the room? And so this is where I get on my soapbox and think about things like mentoring versus sponsorship and advocacy. Because women and ethnically diverse populations are generally over-mentored and under-sponsored and then don't necessarily understand why it's not moving. And it's because I think a lot of times people will say, oh, mentorship and sponsorship are the same thing. And mentoring is more that coaching. Yeah, the developmental aspect being able to help you navigate your career path and the choices that you make. But the sponsor is the person who advocates for that position, for that increase in your status within the organization that vouches for your career. And that sponsorship has to occur. Most VPs have to either apply for it or there's some room where they do nine box planning and this person is ready now for this next level. So let's go and appoint that person VP and you go through a process. If you don't have anyone in the room that's willing to speak for you, you'll just be overlooked every every cycle. I had a mentor, I won't say his name, but he worked at a pretty big technology company that the only way you became a vice president within that organization was that it had to assess you and had to for you inside. And it's not a small company. It's a huge computer organization. I'll leave that for you to ponder. This individual has since gone on to do great things, but it wasn't his first time, second time, I think it may have been his third or fourth time being in that room when they finally made him a vice president because someone advocated for him. Every time he'd go back, just bent out of shape. Why not me? Why not now? And no one in that room would advocate for him. He had to start navigating the relationships with people who could sponsor him. And once that sponsor became his champion, that's when that promotion came. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of those elements where you, when you're thinking about mentorship versus the sponsor is I think one of the ways that it could be valuable, the mentorship, because like I said, I always get on my soapbox about mentorship is that, Hey, I want to get promoted. You want to groom the mentorship relationship to the point that, so that it's more organic, right? People will, a lot of times will go out to someone and say, will you sponsor me? And it's a, it's an odd dynamic because if the person doesn't know you, then it sounds more, I want to get to know you to get promoted. I am now interested in building the relationship. And I think there's an important element there, but I want to go back a little bit to something else that you said, you have to have a strategy 
when you talked about like the framework and it being more than just checking a box. So you talked about the P&L, right? The profit and loss. So you have to have a budget, right? You have to have a, so when oftentimes when I'm consulting on DEI, I talk about DEI in air quotes, having really two pillars. One is, one is diversity, equity, and inclusion objectives that you're seeking, but it has to be embedded into your organizational development. It has to be embedded into your, what is your strategy, right? What is your strategic plan in order to make it happen? And when I think about it, like, all I've really done, all I've really done in, in terms of DEI is look at it from the from everything else that I've done that I've succeeded in the business world and I apply a DEI lens to it. And again, and from a sales standpoint, in order for me to drive sales, I had to have what I call my award-winning teams. And I oftentimes used to say, I don't care what you look like as long as you can get the job done. I was very right. clear about that. And Jim knows this, Jim knows this from experience is that you want the talent in the room that's going to be able to get the job done, which means you have to be able to see everyone for who they are, what their strengths are in order to get that outcome. And it sounds like that's a lot of what you're talking about is that your frame, at least from what I hear from my perspective of what you've been talking about so far with DEI. Yeah, and I also think that people assume that just... I can snap my 50 minority, 59 minority percentage wise. I have 50, 50 male, female, and I have all ethnicities represented. And I'm just, it's a utopia. That doesn't happen in reality. Diversity and inclusion and the equity part, but diversity and inclusion is a journey. It's not a final destination. This is a long game. You can't start on the first hole and then say, I won the masters. It's 72 hole. And a lot of times what people want is the reward, the, but they don't want to wait patiently to make sure that the right people will be in place in the right roles for the right reasons. And I think that's where you lose a lot of people is that DE&I journey becomes, oh, it's just a quota. It's just an affirmative action program. That's not it. You can make the mistake and treat one like that, but that's not really what this is about. Everyone wants the right person in the right seat on the bus. Everyone. I want the right people to be helping this organization grow. So you have to take time to build out a strategic plan that will have dollars allocated to it to be able to build the organization up. But you also have to be mindful that, hey, there's a job that needs to be done and the company if it's not making money, it doesn't matter what your DNI strategy is. If the company is not profit, it's not going to hire anybody. And so that's the part where I think we get a little short-sighted is saying the result have to be now, but the but it's really a long game that you have to look at. And so I think building the infrastructure, which is why I said going to the places where the people are at to meet them where they're at, to be able to bring them where you need them to be is so important and part of this journey have an internship program to be able to go into colleges and universities if that's the group that you're trying to court to bring to pull them into your organization having relationships out in the community to mentor and to sponsor and put on some of these events that allow people to see the heart of your organization it won't be until people understand where your heart's at that they understand that you truly about who they are and that that will start to change the tide for you but it's a long game. And I think to be short-sighted and just say, hey, I can snap my fingers and I have all the representation of who I need, where I need them to be, and the expertise that I require for this organization is a, a far-fetched to say the least. But don't give up. The other thing you have to be is very, and you have to have perseverance. You can't see it, but in my wall, in, in my office, I have core values that at Claris, we call it the hero culture. And perseverance is one of those things. Don't give up. Don't give in. The struggle is real, but keep going. Don't be discouraged 
with every setback. Just reassess, go at it again. Damar, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your background, your experience, your worldview. And for those listening, I think we're just scratching the surface. I think one of the things that DeMar pointed is that DEI is often looked at as some sort of check the box exercise. And that's not really the intent of what we want to deliver. We want to help organizations tie their DEI initiatives to business results. And that leads, and the great thing about it is that we have a phenomenal person on the show right now, DeMar who has expertise in that area. So the next episode that you'll see Damar held with is gonna be a masterclass that helps organizations and gives organizations a framework of how to tie DEI to your talent strategy overall from an organizational development and organizational effectiveness perspective that points right to profitability and revenue because that's the missing link. Because what we're trying to change is taking DEI as a check the box exercise and moving it to a this critical business outcomes driven initiative. And that's what Damar, the next conversation with Damar is gonna be about. So I make sure I'm really looking forward to that segment. Thanks for joining us, Damar. It was great having you. And we're definitely gonna have you back to do that masterclass where we map that out. That wraps up this episode with our featured guest, Damar Phillips. Make sure you are reaching out and connecting with Damar on LinkedIn. You can find Cascading Leadership on LinkedIn as well as Facebook. Make sure you're following us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Leave us a review, give us show suggestions. We appreciate the support. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Damar, for a great show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.